Welcome to the D-Spot Podcast. Dr. Dana McNeil is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in working with couples using the Gottman Method. Her evidence-based practice provides support for the wide range of relationship issues that modern couples face. By using her open, affirming, and outside-of-the-box thinking, Dr. Dana is able to approach her work with couples by bringing both insights and tools that reflect the realities of today's complicated relationships. Dr. Dana features guests on her podcast that include a unique array of celebrities, CEOs, influencers, and everyday folks who are all working on navigating new conversations about how society views what goes into a successful relationship. And now, here's your host, Dr. Dana McNeil. Hello, and welcome to the D-Spot podcast. I'm Dr. Dana McNeil, and I'm your host for a podcast that is all about relationships and the people in them. Our goal in this show is to change the conversation about going to couples therapy and explore what defines a healthy relationship. Today, I am in conversation with my very good friend, Lynn Waldman, a licensed clinical social worker. She is the owner and founder of the San Diego Divorce Counseling Center. Hello, love. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you and good morning. Nice to be here. So tell everybody listening, what do you do at the San Diego Divorce Counseling Center? So we do have a small center. It's me and one other therapist, and we work with clients going through divorce. It can be all aspects of divorce, whether deciding to divorce or once they have decided, how do we get through it? Because divorce is just inherently emotionally dysregulating. And even, you know, after divorce, we work with couples who maybe share children and have difficulty getting along. So, uh, We just do all aspects of divorce. We help moms and dads or parents who have children in common with with parenting plans and how do they share the kids. We can do it privately or with a recommendation to court. So it's just all aspects of divorce and child sharing. All questions. I have tons of questions. I always have questions. Even though you're one of my best friends, I still have tons of questions. So (laughs) let's start at the very beginning. So if a couple isn't like, hey, let's go see a traditional couples therapist. We don't know if we want to hang out for a year and figure out if our relationship is just heave ho. You do something called discernment counseling, which I don't know that a lot of people know about. So can you talk about what that process is and what you do? Yes. So discernment counseling is a great option if you're trying to determine where are we and what do we want to do? And I feel like, you know, you guys spend so much time or most people do planning the wedding. Shouldn't we at least think about our relationship and is it going to end and how we're going to end it? So discernment counseling is up to five sessions. So that's why I like to think about it as, you know, give yourselves the opportunity and the chance just in five sessions to figure out what are we doing? So discernment counseling could end up one of three ways. There's three different paths that it could go. It could be that we decide, you know what, we're just going to leave things as they are. Mm. Things aren't that bad, or maybe we're sharing health insurance, insurance, or we have kids in common that we want to get through high school. We're going to leave things as they are. Or they may decide separation and divorce is the route we want to go. And path three is a commitment to six months of marriage therapy, because I feel like you know, I don't want to refer to your clinic, Dana, if they're not really on board with marriage therapy, like it's just not going to work. So, and we refer out to marriage therapy because I feel like if somebody wants to save their marriage, I want them to have the best shot. 
which is why I love referring to you. So uh, yeah, so that's why five sessions to determine where are we, what are we doing? What kind of questions would you ask in that middle section? Like you said, maybe we just decide that we should get divorced. Are the couples coming in already sort of leaning towards that? And they're just wanting to do like a checklist with you where if somebody whose license is like, yeah, thumbs up, you're allowed to get divorced. Like, what does that look like? So with discernment counseling, the beautiful thing about it is, you know, everybody doesn't have to be on the same page, obviously. So typically there's one spouse, one member of the marriage leaning into the marriage, and there's one leaning out. So that's usually what happens. And sometimes it switches a little bit. You might have a leaning in spouse kind of leaning out now. And so we'll usually start with the, the leaning in spouse to figure out what's going on. And then, so what happens is we spend about 45 minutes individually. We'll start off together, but then it's okay. individual and mm -hmm. there, there's a midpoint. And so uh, whichever client I met with first, we'll give a short review to their spouse about what's going on and where they stand. And then I'll meet with the other client. Mm -hmm. And at the end, we have a review. Where are we? Are we going to continue? Are we going to have another session? Or have we made a decision about which path we want to take? And then if they decide that they want to stick with it, you're usually recommending they commit to like, what is it like six months of giving it a solid try of committing, not just showing up and checking the boxes, but like going through the paces with your partner. That's right. That's why we do the five sessions. Are you really committed to this six months of marriage therapy? Because if you're going to give it a go, let's really give it a go. So otherwise, you know, let's choose a different path. So they've made some couples have made the painful decision to go ahead and get divorced then they still can stay in house with you because you can help them facilitate, hey, we have kids. How are we going to like prepare the kids for this? Who gets custody? How do we do all of those court proceedings when there's kids involved, right? Yes, absolutely. We can look at all those issues and yeah, if they need additional help, I have other resources I can give them. But yeah, we can stay in house and look at, you know, let's have this divorce with integrity. What's it going to look like? What does that look like? So how do we tell our kids? Like that is always the most painful thing that my clients have said, like, hey, how do we tell our children? How do we manage what is going to come up for them? So there's never any easy way to do this, yeah. you know, and so I tell clients that it's not going to be easy. You might have to answer questions over and over. It really depends on the ages and developmental stages of where the child is. We want to keep it child-centered and on their level. We don't want to give them too much information. We certainly don't want to give them any adult information. So oftentimes I will have clients come in and write a script. Mm, good. How, yep. How they're going to tell their children. And we want it to be without blame, yeah. even if there's blame to go around. Like, yeah. you know, even if one parent or the other might've had an affair or an infidelity, you know, we don't want to tell that to the kids because it's just too much, you know, it's overwhelming information. Mm -hmm. It blames one parent. We don't want the kids to align with one parent over the other. Yeah. So, and this is really difficult for some parents, especially at the beginning stages of the divorce, when there's lots of resentment and anger, you know, to be able to tell the kids without blame, but it's so important for the kids because they are half of this couple and it just has such a detrimental effect if if they feel they need to take sides so yeah so that's why it's good to rehearse it let's have a conversation let's role play it how are we going to tell 
your children about the divorce? So I've had couples sometimes where one of the parents has said, we're getting divorced. You know, maybe there wasn't any like horrific event. They are just, you know, they're not doing it anymore. They've made a decision. And the other partner says, but I don't want to get a divorce. So I don't want to sit down with our kids and create this united front because that's not fair to me. I'm not on board with it. And you say what to them? I say we need to have a few more sessions. Or it might be that that member of the couple needs to do their own individual work right now because it's, it's interesting because I know you had a wellness fair this weekend and a lot of your clinicians were talking about the stages of grief and loss mm. for couples in couples therapy. And of course, divorcing couples are going to go through those same stages of shock and denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So if somebody's not ready to tell the kids, we kind of have to slow things down and go at their pace. Typically, I think there's no big hurry to get a divorce, you know, if, unless there's some kind of danger to one client or the other. Sometimes it's more beneficial to go a little bit slower. And sometimes the slower we go, the faster we get there. It's not unusual that one partner wants to hurry up and get divorced and the other is dragging their feet like, I'm not ready. I can't believe this is even happening. Yeah. So if they're not ready to tell the kids, it might be a good idea. Let's just slow things down a little bit. We can tell them in a month or two months, maybe after that parent goes through their own individual counseling and lets the notion of divorce, you know, sink in a little bit more. Well, that makes me admire you more because I cannot imagine one of my clients is like, yep, we're getting divorced. Like, I don't even know how I would be able to have them slow their roll and not want to like go tell the kids like yesterday. So because it's, it, it's not that they're, they, they don't care. It's like, we want to pull the bandage off. I've been like lingering in this decision for years and like, you know, finally I'm like, okay, I'm clear now. And then the other partner's like, well, I need some time. Yeah. So how do you convince that partner that's in a rush to get it going? Do you remind them that this is about the kids and this is about them? Exactly. It's about putting the needs of the children ahead of yourself, which, and I get it, you know, it's really difficult, especially when people are at odds and you're right. The partner who's initiating the divorce might have been thinking about this for seven years or more, and they are done and they want to tell the kids and they're ready and they might want to move out. And at the same time, you know, we have to think about the love of your children is greater than, than your need to hurry this up, this momentary, you know, urge to rush. So that's when we have to think about, you know, being effective. We want to be an effective co-parent, an effective parent. Mm -hmm. So we have to sometimes put our emotions, our thoughts and feelings aside for the sake of the kids. And we have to, you know, have our behavior be effective to get us to be where we want to be. So you're helping that parent that's still in shock go through those stages of grief and loss so that they can come to an acceptance. Doesn't mean they like it. Doesn't mean they want it. Doesn't mean they sought this out. Doesn't mean they're on board with it, but there has to be some sort of stage of acceptance that you kind of help them walk through. Yes. And even if they're not really at that stage of acceptance yet, and like you said, you might not like it. You might not want to do it. So it's kind of like holding two opposite things together at the same time. I don't like this. I don't want to do it. And yet for the sake of the kids, this is what I need to do. And it might be slowing down for one parent, or it might be hurrying up for the other to go ahead and have a conversation with the kids. 
how would a parent know that their kids were not handling it well? What would be some signs or symptoms that the children are in like some need of additional support? Well, that's a great question. And it's always the behavior. You want to monitor the behavior of your children if they start regressing, uh, if they start having temper tantrums and meltdowns, if they start isolating, mm -hmm. uh, if they're not doing as well in school anymore. We always want to monitor for behavior changes. That's how we know things are not going well or, uh, or we need to look at something or we need to ask more questions or you know, we need to make the other parent aware if they're not. But it's always monitoring the behavior and how is the behavior different. I do have clients sometimes where one of the partners is just sort of checked out, right? They're going through their own process of grief in a different way than the parent is, and they're not really paying as much attention to the child's needs. And so then that parent steps in and hires someone like you to help with child custody, right? And so what does that evaluation process look like? Why would they bring you in? What do you do for them? So first of all, it's not unusual that one parent might be checked out or might look checked out to the other parent. Mm. So, and I always explain this to parents, as you're getting divorced, roles change. Like one parent might've been the breadwinner. The other parent might've been the stay-at-home parent. And, you know, the stay-at-home parent does not understand now, you know, why all of a sudden was the parent who's the breadwinner, all of a sudden now they want to be involved in activities. So that point is important to keep in mind because rules change as people get divorced. Of course, one parent might be stepping up to the plate. The stay-at-home parent might be looking for work now, and that can create problems and resentments. So what I do as far as child custody, it comes into play when mom and dad or any parents, I know I keep saying mom and dad, but it could be any co-parents right. at all. When co-parents cannot figure out how they want to share the kids when they cannot figure out when are they going to spend time with this parent or that parent that's when uh, they hire me and I will try to help them come up with a parenting plan mm. I really like when parents agree on the parenting plan because the best parenting plan is the one that the parents agree to what would you say statistically how often does that happen I want to say it's about 50 percent really is that good <laughs> I think that's I think it's good if if okay. I can get you know 50% of the people I work with to agree you know that would be great because again they have to live with the plan yeah. so I want it to be something that works for them so there's two ways they can go about it it can be private and confidential and I'll work with them to come up with a plan uh -huh. if we don't have an agreement though they could walk away with nothing so the other option is to have it be private and non-confidential, which means there would be a recommendation to the court if I can't somehow find a middle ground for the parents to agree. And so what do you take into consideration? I know because from our walk, sometimes you're like writing hundreds pages of reports <laughs> and like what are in those like very important, uh, well-documented reports? What are you taking into consideration? So I want to hear about both parents' concerns. I want to hear what's going on. What has been the parenting? What have they been doing, you know, as far as sharing the kids while they were together? We want to have as much consistency as possible for the kids. So the transition is seamless. So I want to hear what are your worries? They might not actually have any worries about the other parent. I work with couples and they'll say, 
um, you know, my co-parent is great. I don't have any worries. You know, they'll say that about one another. So it's just, you know, sometimes there's just little tiny tweaks to the schedule that they can't agree on. Um, so I'm putting in their concerns. I'm putting in what they would like to have for a parenting plan. Sometimes I'm contacting collateral professionals. Uh, there might be a school teacher. There might be the children's therapist that I get in touch with. It depends on the ages of the kids. I'll interview the kids. I'll observe the children with each parent. So then, then I make a recommendation about what I think is the most child-centered plan. That's what I'm looking at. What is the most child-centered plan for this kid or this set of kids? And attorneys will call it best interest, mm. but us mental health folks call it child-centered. So that's exactly what I'm looking for is what's the most child-centered plan. So I can already hear like, somebody chirping in my ear saying is it count then if we have that situation where there's been um an affair or an extramarital situation and the parent is like well that speaks to their character so they shouldn't get to have um as much time or they're not as good of a parent is that something that you take into consideration or are you looking at like what does the child feel about the parent so I take it into consideration in that it actually would not impact the parenting plan. So if I have one parent that's concerned that the other parents maybe had an affair and they think they're not as good of a parent because of that, that worries me mm. because I want both parents to support one another's relationship with the children. So I wouldn't want the, the parent who's alleging the other parent had the affair to think that that means I'll say the egregious parent mm -hmm. should have less time with the children because it really shouldn't matter. Because that's a separate relationship, right? I mean, exactly. just because I have stepped out of our relationship and I broke my agreement with you, if that's the situation that happened, that parent has a separate relationship with their child that is not consist of the one that they had with their partner. Exactly, exactly. And this is unfortunate when it happens if, uh, if one parent is holding resentments and is in any way trying to limit the other parent's time with the children because of it, that will really backfire on them. So they will have to, they need to deal with those issues on their own and not let that interfere in their co-parenting relationship or with the kids with the other parent. Does it ever come up? I'm getting all the juice from you, all the tea. Does it ever come up that when the parent that if, if there's an extramarital affair, apparently we don't need to focus on this, but this is my realm. I have lots of clients yes. in this space. Yes, so I'm yes, yes. always curious what's happening at your office, right? Mm -hmm. So if there's a discussion about introducing a new partner or a new co-parent do you have recommendations for how they do that how much time they take that the other partner is you know the custodial parent is there like what advice do you give them on that if, if that comes up so of course that's another really tough question and parents disagree and parents will even put into their parenting plan although uh you know it's kind of really hard to as i would call it legislate morality you can't say you know, you need to know this person for six months before you introduce them to the kids, or you need to know this person for two years before you introduce them, because parents will agree to that and they break it every time. Mm. So I actually have some clients recently asking me about that. And, you know, I think that you want to, if you are going to introduce your new partner, 
you want to do it in a neutral place. I think it's a good idea if you do have a good co-parenting relationship with the other parent to let them know I'm going to be introducing my new partner or my new boyfriend or girlfriend. And again, depending on the ages of the kids, you want to do it briefly. Um, you want to make it as easy breezy as possible that um, this is my new friend and we're going to be spending time together. I think the big worry for kids is they're going to lose contact or lose time with the parent that has the new partner. Mm -hmm. So you just want to reassure the kids that they're always going to come first. Their time with you isn't going to be any less because of it. So what do we tell um, parents that are getting a divorce about how to make living arrangements for the children. So one of the things that I remember that I heard, and I don't know if this is still current because I don't work with parents and children as much, that's your forte, that ideally, maybe it's not possible, but we leave the child at the home and we take turns like going in and out. Is that still the thing? Or like, how do we recommend that we minimize the disruptions to a child's physical living space? So lots of parents try that. They It's called nesting or bird mm -hmm. nesting. And it could work for a while. People usually run into problems with it because there's a lack of privacy. Mm. Uh, you know, oh, so yeah, because you can see stuff that your partner left out or like you're all up in their stuff. Exactly. Or you might have a computer at the house and you can see, you know, where they've been or online. So it can work initially. It's also very expensive. And most people nowadays cannot afford two or three homes because if you've got the home that's nesting, then one of you is going to either need, you'll either need to have a place to go or you could trade off on the place where you're living when you're not at the family home, but it does get expensive. So um, that's why it's, you know, it's usually transitional until people either decide we're going to sell the family home or one is going to buy the other. So it's usually good for a transition and it usually works best with co-parents who are getting along better. Okay. So it's a temporary compromise to help your kids sort of transition so that this is again, less impactful to them. Cause yes. what they really want to know is that their life is not going to change significantly. They're still going to go to soccer practice. They're still going to have their stuffed teddy bear with them that mom and dad still love them. And that they might just be in some different environments. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The more they know that things are going to be seamless and as little, you know, as few things are going to change as possible, then I think the more secure they will feel, the less anxious, the less worried they'll be. So let's say somebody's listening to this show and they're just about to go through this process. What are things that couples do to screw up their divorce that you wish they knew in advance and took your warnings about? Uh, they rush. They will get scared. Uh, they will find an attorney who tells them that they have to win. Mm. There's actually no winning in family court. And I have a colleague who says the F word is fair mm. in family court. Family court can be like the wild, wild west. So <laughs> uh, it's better, like I said, take your time. Think about mediation. There's workshops you can go to. There's one called Divorce Options through the Collaborative Practice of San Diego. It's the first Saturday of every month. It's free. There's another one called Second Saturday South Bay, obviously the second Saturday of the month. Uh, that's also free. So I think it's a good idea to gather your information 
in collaborative, we like to say once you decide to divorce, the next most important question is how you divorce. So take your time, find out what your options are. I always think it's better if the parents can stay in charge of it, let it be a client-driven process rather than an attorney-driven process. Divorces can be extremely expensive. The one thing I like about collaborative, since I mentioned it, it's kind of like wraparound services for the family. Each client has an attorney that's representing them. Each client has a mental health professional. There will be a financial neutral guiding the process. You can even have a child specialist who will meet with your kids and help the clients come up with a parenting plan. So, you know, keeping things out of court and having it be as amicable as possible, I believe is a better way to go about divorcing. Great. And I love that you are explaining how you can give them that support, right? You're not just there to like evaluate the kids, you're also help them kind of navigate this territory. And if they've got attorneys that are not out to win, that you can kind of help them all facilitate a happier cooperative ending. Yes, because we say also that divorce, it's legal, it's financial, and it's also emotional. Yeah. And if your emotions are wrecking havoc, you know, in your mind, and again, with behavior, it's going to sidetrack everything. Mm -hmm. So that's why I like to think about being as effective as possible in spite of difficult thoughts and feelings for how can I get through this process? Mm -hmm. Great. Any other tips or tricks that you want anybody to know about who's hearing this? Um, well, if clients need any resources, we're happy to provide resources. They can check out my website at divorcecounselingcenter.com. Uh, feel free to call our office, uh, 619-865-3203. And you will get through this. I believe there's a silver lining through this difficult time, and it might not show up for a year or two, but you will see the silver lining eventually and be better for it. Okay, last question this I ask all my guests now. What does commitment mean to you, Lynn? Oh my goodness. That is such a tough question. Commitment to me means, you know, hanging in there even when things get difficult. You know, not walking out, accepting that things might be difficult. I think it's a lot what I like to teach my clients. Sometimes not always listening to those difficult thoughts and feelings and choosing an effective behavior hanging in there. I think it's also a commitment to yourself. And I wouldn't say commitment at the expense of yourself. Mm. So um, yeah, just hanging in there because things are, you know, things get difficult sometimes for everybody. Nobody's, you know, we see so much on Facebook and Instagram and everybody looks like, you know, everything's easy and it just isn't. So hanging in there, even when it's tough, I'd say. Words of wisdom from Lynn Waldman. Thank you so very much. I am always inspired by you. I'm always impressed by your grace and candor and your ability to help people through incredibly difficult times in their life. So I very much thank you for what you do, Lynn. It is no easy task. And thank you so much for coming and sharing with everybody about what they need to know to get through this time. Well, thank you, Dana. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. You are very welcome. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next time. Take good care. This has been the D-Spot Podcast with Dr. Dana McNeil. To learn more about Dr. Dana's practice, simply visit us at www.danamcneil.com.